All right. Part three? Part three, I think, of Disorganized Religion. Yeah. Tackling Ecclesiastes still, doing chapters five and six probably tonight. <laughs> we'll see how we go. Get too derailed, we'll, uh, we'll know. <laughs> That's all right. Um, yeah, should we, should we just jump right in? I feel like last time we talked, we kind of, we left it at a point where we'd said a lot <laughs> and there wasn't too much more to say on the, on the last little segment there. Yeah. Why don't yeah. I just jump into it? I'll start. That sounds good. Cool. Uh, this is Ecclesiastes 5. Guide your steps when you go to the house of God. Go near to listen rather than to sacrifice, to offer the sacrifice of fools who do not know what they do wrong, who do not know that they do wrong. Do not be quick with your mouth. Do not be hasty in your heart to utter anything before God. God is in heaven and you're on earth. So let your words be few. A dream comes when there are many, when there are many cares and many words mark the speech of a fool. When you make a vow to God, do not delay to fulfill it. He has no pleasure in fools. Fulfill your vow. It is better not to make a vow than to make one and not fulfill it. Do not let your mouth lead you to sin. Do not protest to the temple messenger. My vow is a mistake. Why should God be angry at you at what you say and destroy the work of your hands? Much dreaming and many words are meaningless. Therefore, fear God. If you see the poor oppressed in a district, injustice and rights denied, do not be surprised at such things. For one official is eyed by a high one, and over them are both others higher still. The increase from the land is taken by all. The king himself profits from the fields. Whoever loves money never has enough. Whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. This too is meaningless. As goods increase, so do those who consume them. And what benefit are they to the owners except to the feast, to feast their eyes on them? The sleep of a laborer is sweet, whether they eat little or much, but as for the rich, their abundance permits them no sleep. I have seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners, or some or wealth lost through some misfortune so that when they have children, there is nothing left for them to inherit. Everyone comes naked from their mother's womb, and as everyone comes, so they depart. They take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, so they depart, and what do they gain? Since they toil for the wind, all their days they eat in darkness, with great frustration, affliction, and anger. This is what I observed to be good. It is that it is appropriate for a person to eat, to drink, and to find satisfaction in their toil, some labor under the sun, during the few days of life God has given them, for this is their lot. Moreover, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, to accept their lot and be happy in their toil, this is a gift from God. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with the gladness of heart. Wow. Mm. there's there's some kind of iconic parts in here that i feel like have been almost informed a little bit of pop culture as far as culture mm. um, like i mean culture to the point that we're at now 
Um, particularly, uh, the whoever loves money has never has enough, and whoever loves wealth is never satisfied with their income. Mm -hmm. We often throw around the term like the love of money is the root of all evil, which is kind of like a biblical concept, I guess. And um, also, I find the uh, everyone comes from their naked from their mother's womb, and, and as everyone comes, so they depart. I don't know where I've heard that recently, but I feel like it's a it's a vibe. I mean, that's very, um, you know, dust to dust, right? Re returning to, to what you were born from, that kind of deal. It's, uh, it's, it's kind of a, a sustained metaphor, I think, throughout life, you know, you kind of, the, the whole point of taking anything on realistically is that eventually it'll end, right? You're always going to start at this point and, uh, you'll end at this point, but realistically it's the same point, <laughs> you know, it's, there's just, there's something in the middle from you coming full circle to, you know, like you can, uh, you, look, you, you don't start your life in love, but if you fall out of love, you're right back where you started. Right. Um, yeah, it's, uh, that's good. I like that, but, uh, um, they take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands. This too is a grievous evil. As everyone comes, they live apart, and what do they gain since they toil for the wind? That's um I saw I don't even know what it was on. It might have been like a Facebook group or something. So uh, someone was just saying, like, the Western culture is so kind of defined by being like purpose-driven, but we've kind of forgotten what purpose is. Like people just working for for money and for you know income and financial gain and security and stuff like that but you've kind of forgotten what you're here to do like you know what what your real purpose is what your higher calling is you know they uh they take nothing from their toil that they can carry in their hands this too is a grievous evil yeah it's just meaningless anymore it's fucking evil <laughs> you're you're working for nothing and uh and that's bad. That is objectively bad. I can't help but think that's a that's a throwback to the the curse on mankind mm. in Genesis three. After you know, uh, Adam and Eve eat the apple, and God curses them. And he says, like, it's time you go and work the field, and and you'll find weeds, and you'll have pain and childbirth, and toilsome work without achievement. It's kind of this real plague that we have on earth. Yeah. Yeah. Um... I've seen a grievous evil under the sun, wealth hoarded to the harm of its owners. Like, what are you, what are you doing? <laughs> why, why are you holding on to all of this kind of fake shit? <laughs> you know, like it doesn't matter if it's tangible, it's not real. You can't take it with you. Doesn't, doesn't matter what walk of life you end up kind of going on or what uh, situations you face. It's only going to get you so far. Right. Yeah. Yeah. You seldom, they seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. That's just like, bam, look at these people. They appreciate what they've got. Yeah, they, they take solace and comfort in the fact that they have something to live for, a higher purpose, a higher calling, a greater power, you know. So what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> working for nothing, working for, for pieces of metal. Like, it's crazy. Oh, it is. It is. It's insane. 
I don't fully get that. They seldom reflect on the days of their life because God keeps them occupied with gladness of heart. I can't tell if he's trying to say it's a good thing or a bad thing. I think based off the writing of Ecclesiastes, it's a good thing. You know, he starts off everything kind of, oh, everything sucks. And he dips back up to everything is optimal because of God. Um, you know, it's, it's, he's, he's talking about, you know, reflection um, being this like all consuming possessing thing. Like he says, right at the start of Ecclesiastes, I have all this damn wisdom and all it did was make me sad. Like, the smartest man on earth is depressed and you know why it's because I know everything. And I think about it constantly and it makes me crazy. This is saying these people don't have to think about any of that shit because their day to day is awesome. They, they just, they revel in the fact that, you know, their lives are completely occupied with gladness of heart. Cool. Good for them. <laughs> Lucky. But yeah. You know, when God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, this is a gift of God. Like that, this this life that you were given, damn, that's a gift. Go enjoy it. Go enjoy it. Go live that life. Go live day to day and appreciate the day to day. Don't think about yesterday. Don't think about the day before. Doesn't matter if they were good days. Make today a good day. Like mm. you know, I find it fascinating. Just a little bit on the end there. Whenever God gives someone wealth and possessions and the ability to enjoy them, except mm-hmm. that it's it's not really the the wealth or possessions that bring people that joy that it, it's like you've got to have some basic things and the ability to enjoy them and it's an interesting thing to chase after yeah mm. yeah you know it's um the, the ability to enjoy something is just like appreciation taking form and so if you can't really see beyond yourself how can you really appreciate the things that have been given to you right yeah yeah and if you, you know, consumed, if you have heaps of wealth and possessions, but can't enjoy them, you're more likely to just want more wealth and possessions mm-hmm. and not enjoy them. <laughs> yeah. I mean, this part here from verse eight onwards is titled in my Bible, riches are meaningless. Oh, yeah. Like, like, yeah, they are. <laughs> you, you, you can exactly right (laughs) this is like the kingiest of the kings (laughs) the wealthiest of the wealthy like man's has it made and he's saying oh i know this stuff matters Uh, can work your entire life for for money and for for wealth and physical kind of gains and stuff like that but what does it really get you you know you're not you're not happy because of it because it doesn't really exist. It's not a real thing. You know, it's, it's not human. It's not, that's not integral to life. So what are you doing chasing after it so hard? You know, and, and it's such a, like a disappointing thing to, to have to live in a world where it's so important to chase after that stuff all the time. And, but it's also disappointing to live in a world where even when that stuff is important, uh, it's, it's not like shared, <laughs> you know, it's not given by the super rich to the poor. It's not distributed to a point where, you know, wealth is shared and, and everyone has a chance to prosper, not just the the super rich and stuff. It's very, very disheartening sometimes, but this, this book is just kind of like, well, you can hold on to that stuff. And uh, if it ever does you any real good, like any proper lasting good, then give me a call, but I just don't see it happening. (laughs) That's right. That's right.
he really does take some shots at the world, particularly in the verse 8. Like, if you see the poor oppressed in the district and justice and rights denied, do not be surprised. Oh, yeah, okay. Mm-hmm. Fair enough. Pretty harsh dose of reality. Yeah, it's, it's very harsh. Like, oh, don't be surprised. For one official is eyed by a higher one, and over them, uh, others higher. Like, it just the chain keeps going up, and you're right down here. So don't be don't be surprised that this d- dude is like shitting on you because there's someone above him doing just as bad. Like, you know, <laughs> it really is. It's not just like riches are meaningless. It's also like greed is stupid and selfish, and screw you, basically. Yeah. Which is good. <laughs> That's what we should be saying. Yeah. You get feudal society also kind of relevant to capitalist society. Mm-hmm. Mm. Yeah. Uh, and you know, relevant to those societies that say they aren't capitalist, like the communists, but they actually are. Yeah. <laughs> you, you can't be perpetrators of mass industry and tell me that you're a communist. It doesn't make sense. Those two things that that's not, no, no, no. <laughs> they are mutually exclusive, actually. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, I feel like we kind of, we've covered everything. Oh, yeah, um, it's less to do with emotion, so I'm not as fired up about it. <laughs> uh, but this next one um, seems to be like, yeah, maybe it is. Um, so I'll, I'll move ahead. Okay. Chapter six. Uh, I have seen another evil under the sun and it weighs heavily on mankind. God gives some people wealth, possessions, and honor so that they lack nothing their hearts desire. But God does not grant them the ability to enjoy them, and strangers enjoy them instead. This is meaningless, a grievous evil. A man may have a hundred children and live many years, yet no matter how long he lives, if he cannot enjoy his prosperity and does not receive proper burial, I say the stillborn child is better off than he. Whew. <laughs> um... <laughs> I wasn't ready for that. It comes without meaning. It departs in darkness, and in darkness its name is shrouded. Though it never saw the sun or knew anything, it has more that uh, has more rest than does that man. Even if he lives a thousand years twice over, but fails to enjoy his prosperity, do not all go to the same place. Everyone's toil is for their mouth, yet their appetite is never satisfied. What advantage have the wise over fools? What do the poor gain by knowing how to conduct themselves before others? Better what the eye sees than the roving of the appetite. This too is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. Whatever exists has already been named, and what humanity is has been known. No one can contend with someone who is stronger. The more the wounds, uh, sorry, the more the words, the less the meaning. And how does that profit anyone? For who knows what is good for a person in life? During the few and meaningless days, they pass through like a shadow. Who can tell them what will happen under the sun after they are gone? Wow. I like that. I mean, kind of horrific. He doesn't just, like, mention stillborn children. He, like, full-on goes on to explain, you know, why it's better to be a stillborn child. Mm. Which is... Pretty intense. Yeah. Mm. It really gets on on the train of enjoying what you have it's really less about what you have but how you enjoy it Mm. Mm. it's powerful it's very evocative intentionally 
but uh yeah it's like uh if you have all these things in your life but you don't know how to how to live your life with those things in there and enjoy them and make them a crucial part of your life like you may as well be dead <laughs> like the the reality is as well you know that's that's really not too far off the truth like <laughs> the the happiest man on earth probably doesn't have every possession he's ever wanted he's probably just got enough to keep him happy you know like he, he probably just has uh, a stern firm appreciation of the things that he loves and the things that that make his life better and that through that appreciation he's found happiness and so you know you you can work your entire life for billions of dollars and be miserable like you know riches are meaningless uh, and and possessions are meaningless unless there's a way to appreciate them mm. you know like uh, <laughs> like this this crappy little laptop that i'm using right now uh, when i first got it i was like oh it's brand new and it it runs like the slowest piece of crap i've ever used in my life that sucks um but then we started doing these talks and i was like oh you know what being able to see my friend like this and have these conversations i have a newfound appreciation for this technology uh, i got a newfound appreciation for this this item this little relic <laughs> like it, it it does the job that that i needed to do and so i appreciate it for its role in that and uh yeah you know that's that's like one little example but you know i think i think it's also like a a kind of good thing maybe to teach like parents <laughs> this this verse right here would be a good one to show like new parents like hey um there's obviously like a lot of kind of inherited love and good and cherishing that comes with having a child but like absentee parents and stuff like that uh, aren't very uncommon um and so you know it doesn't matter if you if you brought this life into the world what good is it to you or that kid if you can't appreciate them properly if you can't you know acknowledge their contributions to your life and acknowledge their potential and and you know, the good that they're doing already at, at whatever age they're at. And I think that would be, that'd be a good one to teach kind of newish parents. Cause it's like, you know, it's obviously there are very few parents who, <clears throat> you know, have a kid and they're like, ah, well, I don't like that. <laughs> um, obviously adoption is real and then foster families and stuff are essential sometimes. And that is a part of life, obviously, but you know, for the vast majority um, you can kind of see like this inherited love for this thing that you created. Okay, cool. But you need to kind of get past that, that step to, to really become like a good parent. Like you need to appreciate what this kid is and it doesn't matter what stage of their life they're in. You have to show them that you love them the whole way through and show them that you appreciate them and, you know, get close to them and have meaningful conversations and, you know, teach them the way that, you know, you were taught don't let that define them and you know do be a good parent <laughs> read this passage and be like oh yeah maybe they would be better off dead if i wasn't just like you know giving them the love that i am so it's, it's a good thing that i am giving them that love otherwise their life would be meaningless good to know you know um it's an extreme example but <laughs> I, I think it's kind of relevant like you know you 
the, the stillborn is better off than the person who can't appreciate what they have. And sometimes what you have is very little. Sometimes what you have is a lot. It's about how you appreciate it that matters though. It makes me kind of wonder, like we spend so much time investing in getting more things and, and what, what would life look like if we invested all that time and energy into appreciating what we currently have? Mm. If we go to university for four years so that we can get a job that, you know, pays the bills. Um, and I don't know. I mean, we need a job that pays the bills. That's like, it, you know, it, there's a prerequisite to enjoying the things you have of having things. <laughs> but I, I, I like, it. it seems like there's a threshold at once. Mm. You have things and then it's about how much you enjoy them. And what have we, you know, invested four years in building up our enjoyment of things and our satisfaction in life? Like, that's almost like a, is that what mocks do? <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> that's, a, that's a good example, though. Like, you know, I think, um, I think a lot of things in life are kind of conditional and uh contextually based and stuff like that so yeah you know sometimes there are prerequisites to being able to appreciate something you know a, a good good like very realistic real world example of that is you know we, we're talking about suffering uh over the last few weeks like there you can you can appreciate suffering you can appreciate the process of suffering and grieving and like being able to heal and and feel stronger from it and stuff but it's kind of conditional you have to you have to experience it in its kind of totality um, before you can put it to rest and you can, you can move past it and, and grow from it. So, you know, I think, I think that's a good example of like appreciating things kind of the right way and, and having a condition to appreciate something. Can I ask you a question, Chris? Mm. It says here, like the, someone who lacks the ability to enjoy something what do you think that is? Like, like, is this a, this is my kind of question. Like, is it, are we meant to look at that and see like a corporate CEO who just spends all their time in their work upset with their life and doesn't hang out with their family? Or are we meant to see like, um, I don't know, just like an everyday person who just lives for the weekends and I don't know. Or, or are we meant to see like, someone who's really struggling or is it almost referring to like some form of depression or mm. something that we'd call a mental illness now that stops people from being able to appreciate things fully. Mm. It's hard because, you know, I'm trying to, to think of like the context of when this was written and um, you know, there aren't like historical references to, to what we know as mental illness now you know, in this time period, they don't talk about that stuff. They talk about like insanity um, and, and, and shit like that. And if people killed themselves back in those days, it wasn't actually seen as that crazy. It was like, oh, that guy's like performing a ritual. Okay. Um, it's, it's horrific, but it's, I'm not wrong. Um, so, so I don't know if I would go with the route of like, this is someone who, who's like a part of their brain just doesn't let them appreciate things. I think it's supposed to kind of be this like umbrella phrase you know the the phrasing of like you know what this is this is the horoscope 
of uh of bible verses it's the thing that's supposed to be wide enough for anyone to be able to interpret it for themselves um you know like this this entire book (laughs) here's here's the beauty about writing in metaphors right this entire book you can do that you can go hey that's describing my part of my life right now that i'm experiencing or i experienced three weeks ago or, or five months ago or like i've experienced my whole life you know um I can read this right now and I can identify parts of it that, that relate to me. That's why I keep drawing on the examples of mental health and stuff like that. That's why I can read, um, you know, uh, God does not grant them uh, the ability to enjoy them and strangers enjoy them instead. That's when I can relate to things like putting in a lot of work on a group project and the other people being praised for it. You know, that's not being able to appreciate the things I have. I see that in myself every day, you know, I I don't appreciate the fact that I'm under a roof. I'm in a bed and I have clothes on my back, you know, because I think it's, it's supposed to be kind of this introspective thing of like, to kind of, kind of have some perspective and appreciate what you have and, and like actually stop taking stuff for granted instead of just saying you will, you know, like I've made, lots and lots of mistakes in my life but the worst ones by far in my opinion have been taking people for granted you know you never really know when someone won't be around anymore like someone you love or someone who meant a lot to you in a completely platonic way um you know a a mentor or a friend or anything really um i think this kind of intentionally covers a wide base to appeal to a lot of people and the, the beauty of this book is that anyone can read it and find it relatable um, because it's a very human book when it comes down to it. It doesn't matter if it's kind of rooted in theology and, and the teachings of, you know, the, the church and stuff like that. It was written by people. <laughs> um, and a lot of these books are from the perspectives of real human beings. Um, the, the greatest figure in this book arguably is Jesus Christ, an actual living flesh and blood man um everything everything is relatable and so this passage it doesn't have to necessarily tick one box or address one demographic or market or whatever i think um it's it's not an us and them kind of viewer it's a it's an us thing exactly exactly um the the point of this uh kind of conversation um even even happening right now is that it's not us or them it's this is everyone and some people are just more willing to see that than others i think um and and, you know this this kind of writing is the reason why i don't subscribe to horoscopes because that's that's corporate writing you know you do it to appeal to a large market to get more clicks on your blog or whatever shit that you're peddling um but it's also why this works so well because it's supposed to be a series of relatable writings where people can find their own flaws and, and shortcomings in it and try to correct them through this book's teachings. Um, so yeah, it's not us or them. It's everyone. It is, it is, we're all in the same boat together. It is, Hey, you will experience this at some point in your life. Even today in my psych appointment, you know, he was talking to me about like the fallout of, of loss, you know, you, you live through that suffering and you learn to 
uh, acknowledge and grieve and, and really kind of translate that pain into, into more of an emotional thing than a, than a physical reaction. Cause you know, you, your heart breaks the first time you can feel it. That's a real actual feeling. And so he was talking to me about like, well, you'll, you'll probably come to a point in your life. You're still quite young. You'll probably come to a point in your life where this happens again. Um, and, and that sucks. That's a really shitty reality, but, um, it's also like a universal truth. No one, no one falls in love without some kind of complication. No one falls out of love without pain. Um, whether it is a romantic love or whether it is a, a mutual thing, you know, whether it's between uh, a friend, uh, <laughs> a friend group or, or, a, or a son and his father, you know, you have this real reaction to it. And that's a universal thing for everybody, you know, uh, e- even, even those who have, you know, nothing. And, and this book is really good at kind of addressing those people because nothing is such a, it's such an intangible concept, you know, because mm-hmm. <sighs> appreciation, right. Um, even those who have nothing, no, no material objects to, to kind of keep them motivated or keep them going or, or drive their purpose or anything. They still have things that they care about. They, they still have things they want to live for. They still have family members and, and loved ones around them. Um, and so when I, when I read this kind of thing, and it's saying, um, you know, to be given gifts and not appreciate them is a grievous evil. I feel that in my soul, you know, the, like I said, biggest mistakes I've ever made in my life. And I've made some pretty big ones. Um, biggest mistakes I've ever made, not appreciating the, the things that I have, the, the people that I have, especially um, taking it for granted. Um, and, and, you know, that might be completely different to you that might be completely different to anyone who, who hears this or sees this or who reads this book. The, that's kind of the, the best thing about this is that it's up for interpretation. Um, you know, there aren't, <laughs> there aren't scholars and prophets like there were back in the day who can tell you, well, this is kind of what we meant when we wrote this. Cause this book is old as hell. Um, like literally that's kind of its point <laughs> since the inception of time, um, you know, so yeah, that's, that's my long-winded answer of saying anyone can apply anything to this, you know? Um, it's, it's all about personalization and, um, and how you were uh, uh, seeing it, you know, through your own eyes, that kind of thing. Yeah, I like that. I think that's an awesome interpretation. That was one that I hadn't thought of. Um, thanks for unpacking it, Ed, man. It's pretty cool. <laughs> yeah. No, yeah, I'm happy to though. It's just kind of that's where my head goes. Like this, this as a as a book, as a means of kind of transferring information. It's written very intentionally. It's it's written through things that people can draw meaning from and and find themselves in. Um, you know, it. And I, I don't want to be like sacrilegious or anything, but it's written like some of the best pieces of of pop culture are. You know, people find relation and meaning in great pieces of work um just the same as they do in this bible you know um it's this the reason why we share tolkien quotes with each other because they're so applicable to the real world and you know why they're applicable to the real world because they're applicable to us 
You know, we we wouldn't appreciate something as as heavy as the Lord of the Rings if we didn't see a little bit of ourselves in some of those characters. We wouldn't appreciate something as heavy as the Bible if we weren't living the experiences these people were living. You know, if if these metaphors didn't apply to actual real life things on a timeline that happened to us, you know. And not not to say that this holy writing isn't important because it's a holy piece of work and there are metaphors in it. I'm not, I'm not trying to say, you know, the fact that it's written from a theological perspective is undermined and at all by the fact that it's metaphorical for the majority of it. Uh, I'm trying to say that the metaphors help us find the meaning and the meaning helps us find the teaching, you know? (sighs) Yeah. And I, yeah, I'm convinced that it's because of that. It's, it's writing into the human experience. And that's something that we all share. Mm-hmm. Here, why I love Ecclesiastes is that it talks about, like, really the nitty gritty. You know, what is the human experience of this world? And it's like, oh, well, it's pretty rough, you know. But you know, there's there's some hope in it, and that's kind of what keeps you going. But you can get overwhelmed with the whole lot if you think about it all at once. <laughs> so why don't you just plod along? <laughs> like, yeah. Yeah. No, you're right. Like so far, Ecclesiastes. Yeah. At the it it's written in a way where you know you you are kind of framed as like as worthless sometimes, you know, and and that's such an easy interpretation of this book. Like, oh well, it doesn't matter what you do, everything goes back to dust anyway. Well well that's why what I do matters. You know, that's why you live day to day because I'm not living for tomorrow. Tomorrow might not come. I have to live for right now and I have to appreciate what I have for right now. Like if we, if we come from dust and we return to dust, who's to say what's in the middle, but us, right. Who's to, who's to hold that, that leash, those reins to, to play the puppet master as it were, you know, like, yeah, you can argue for predestination until the, gosh darn cows come home you can you can have that conversation for years and get nowhere um but all you've really done is nothing right uh if you don't approach your day with an understanding that ultimately you're in control of your decisions that's a complete lack of appreciation for life you know like god this book isn't trying to to bog you down in the harsh reality it's trying to tell you that reality is harsh but what you do with it is still up to you. You know, like you, you can look at any one of these hundreds of words written in this chapter alone, any one of the tens or hundreds of thousands of words written in this Bible and find meaning in it. But the book only goes so far. The power is still in your hands. The power to open up the book and read it is, is up to you. You know, like there, there isn't, there isn't a single thing in this book that actually tells me, Hey, open up your book and have a conversation with your friend about this passage. There isn't. That's, that was a thing that I decided to do on my own. You know, um, I, I shared uh, a thing from Romans and then I was like, Hey, we never finished Ecclesiastes. Let's do that. And you were like, yeah, that sounds good. The book didn't tell me to do that. I just wanted to do it. And it became a really meaningful thing to me. And these conversations are something that I, really appreciate and i have like a a firm like genuine love for because it's 
it's such a driving factor for so many of my days now. Like when I know a call is coming at the end of the day, I'm like, oh, everything is just kind of leading up to that. Um, and that's that's like so counter to what to what this chapter says. But I think it's also kind of going along with what it says, because the book says, hey, man, don't just don't just live for one thing. Don't put all your eggs in one basket. But it also tells you to appreciate the things that you have. And one of the big things I have right now is this. So it's like, it's kind of okay if everything is filler until I get to this point. I live today with a purpose, you know? I like that. Dude, this is fun. Yeah, it's definitely the highlights, uh, in the highlights of my week, for sure, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and it, I mean, we, we could always take it with the, oh, yeah, it's just something that we do. But, you know, the ability to enjoy it mm. is, uh, is quite a gift. And uh, I certainly feel that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, for sure. Like, uh, it it could have just been like a, you know, um, kind of like a, a compulsory, like an obligation, you know, check in with your friends and make sure they're okay. And even if it started out that way of just like, hey, let's make sure you're okay <laughs> and that life isn't a little too much right now. What it's become is just this genuine appreciation for each other's company and thoughts and and opinions and perspectives. And, you know, uh, for me, at least, a newfound appreciation for this Um, and a newfound appreciation for the for the quotes that we share and the clips that we share. And and it's grand. It's grand. You know, there's there's nothing uh impure at all about sharing passions with someone and that's that's a really cool part of it you know um the the difficult kind of flip side of that is when that passion you share with someone becomes an integral part of your relationship with them and then that relationship ends and that's really difficult but i think a part of appreciation is learning to love something for you and not for you and someone else you know like uh you know you might share a TV show with someone you love and then that relationship ends and it's like, oh, I can't watch that like through my own lens anymore because I that was our thing and, you know, stuff like that. And I might have a favorite book or, or a favorite band or something like that, you know, favorite song. But I think appreciation kind of, it comes with like adaptability and, um, you know, not, not like a stiff upper lip, but resilience. You know, it, it comes with internal strength. Um, it, when when appreciation is kind of put to the test mm. yeah that was a bit of a tangent but i was like that's just something i've been thinking about lately actually yeah yeah you seem to have quite a grip on it i'm not sure if i have the same grip on it as you do but i appreciate <laughs> yeah your, your wisdom well i i appreciate you thinking it's wisdom <laughs> uh, now and times I catch myself and I'm just like, what the fuck are you rambling on about, mate? <laughs> it's, it's, it's far more often than I would like to be perfectly honest, but, but that's kind of okay. You know, I think it's part of my charm. And the fact that, um, that you haven't just outright told me to shut up yet shows your appreciation for it. <laughs> well, um, that's, that's two chapters. That is two chapters. Do we, do we want to leave it there and pick up seven and eight next time? Yeah, sounds good to me. Let me just read this last little bit. Yeah. Notice what is good for a person in life. During the few and meaningless days, they pass through like a shadow. Who can tell them what will happen under the sun after they're gone? 
now this i find this fascinating because yeah that's exactly right you know like i find it fascinating when people try and define what's right mm. because our, our morals even as people have changed over the last century like drastically over the last 300 years huge like over the last 30 years even <laughs> you know yeah like we change our mind almost every day what is right and what it is good for a person to do as a society that is mm. and like and, and people all throughout society have very different perspectives anyway like there isn't a collective this is this is right and and so I love that question of for who actually knows what is good for a person in life. It's only like a snap that you're here anyway. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I find ultimately interesting is that this is nestled within the Bible, which is designed to tell you what it is good for you to do in life. And and so I find it fascinating that it almost just puts that aside for a second and says, hey. Have a think about it. Have a think about your position. Do you really know? Like, do you really know what's right? Mm-hmm. I, that's, I don't know. That that seems to be what it's saying to me. Anyway, just like on your own, what do you really know? Mm. Yeah, I, I think it. Yeah, I think it falls into, you know, the kind of similar basket as like. He without sin can cast the first stone because like, well, you don't really get to decide that, do you? Um, just, just as much as you don't really get to determine what's right or what's wrong in your own life. Um, I, I also really like that immediately it follows it up with like, well, who's going to tell them uh, what will happen when they're gone? Like that, that person's gone. You, you can't tell them that it's right or what's, or what's wrong. Like, it didn't matter then. It doesn't matter now, <laughs> you know. It's often we do something that's good now, so that something will happen later. Mm-hmm. Like, well, you actually don't know what's going to happen later because of what you're doing. It's true, you know. Like the 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 pretty prime example of that is like when people people are like, oh, this is like a teaching moment for like my kid or something. Like. Oh, I'm going to teach my kid how to swim by throwing him in the deep end. And then that child is traumatized. And you're like, well, you didn't foresee that, did you, genius? Can I share um, Nelson Mandela? Mm. Um, you know, led South Africa out of segregation. Even. I, and like even when I went there to like into their parliament, I kind of sat in the, in the top row and listened to what was going on. They're still quoting him. Just like in their parliament, you know, so many years later, um, it's just, it's so embedded that he, he kind of raises his whole nation up on this vision of like hope and things will be better. And, you know, when we're united, things will be better and we just need to go out and do good things. And everyone was like, you know what, that is, that's right. That's what, that's what it means to be good. And then now everyone's still, they're trying to cling to this vision of what it was. Like, and what Nelson Mandela stood for. And, you know, we just have to keep going. But they're wrestling with all these issues, like the huge inequality that still exists in South Africa. And they've tried all these different ways of fixing it, like reparations, whatever, and none of it's working. And they've still got these massive crime rates. And it's just, when I was there a couple of years ago, they were just trying to hang on to this vision. 
but like in the same sitting, like they had these, um, they have a socialist party in their uh, parliament. They wear like red workers' uniforms and they're just blatantly and obviously like really trying to push socialism very vocally and, and offensively. Mm. Um, and, and they got up and were yelling at people and yelling and they stormed out of parliament and stuff. It's all just like in, in the day-to-day kind of thing, you know, them trying to govern their country based on this idea that Nelson Mandela gave them. And you get to the point now, like they've just had coronavirus things kind of like wash through their country and they've just had in the last like month had a whole bunch of riots and stuff. And they tried so hard to cling on to this idea of like what was good. And Nelson Mandela went like, it's almost like he rode off into the sunset when he was like, it laid down this foundations of a good country and a strong democracy and a strong constitution. And he thought, you know, like when you've got that at the center, it'll all fall into place, but it just didn't. Mm-hmm. It just hasn't. I'm like, damn, that's what that verse reminds me of. Who can tell them what will happen under the sun after they're gone? So my heart breaks for Nelson Mandela, who is like, well, I, I think he's one of the greatest people who ever lived. But who knows what is good for a person in life? Yeah, I mean, that's the thing, right? You. <laughs> That, that example, especially, you're always going to have people that are diametrically opposed, just they can't see the same way on any issue. Like, uh, and, you know, when, when you give someone the tools and the, the kind of helping hand in such a big way like he did, you know, sometimes they forget how to think for themselves because they try to stick to this rigid idea of what good is supposed to be, even though it might not be what is the best for them at the time or it might be and then they're confused because they don't know if they have any say in things you know like it, it, it creates conflict that the second you try to interject yourself into someone's life that life suddenly becomes just slightly unnatural you know there's there's a there's like foreign material injected into the blood almost right like the second you're inside someone's head that person's head is never going to be a hundred percent the same as it was you know, the moment before they, they met you or you influenced them in that way. Um, so who knows what is good for a person in life? No one. Because good is not, good is not, good is not objective. You know, my, I was about to say real, but then I was like, ah, <laughs> but, but it's not good. Good and bad are two very subjective things, right? Like, that's what fascinates me because the rest of the Bible says something different. Yeah. The Bible is very against that idea. The Bible is like the first example of like black and white, good and bad. Um, and then this right smack bang in the middle of the Bible, right at the arse end of the, the Old Testament is like, well, actually, <laughs> uh, I don't know about all that sport because it's kind of it's kind of true, though, like <laughs> You know, you can't really, you can't really have morals and 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 ethics and stuff like that 
without kind of conflicting ideas of, of good and bad, right and wrong. Um, and because we are very morally bound and ethically driven people, just kind of by our nature, um, you know, you, you need to have this gray, murky area. Um, it's it's kind of it's kind of the difference between like a good soldier and and a good person, right? Like a good soldier will tell you that they follow orders to the to the T, right? No matter what the order is, but a good person who's in the armed forces won't gun down a bunch of prisoners of war, you know, um, even if that's their order. Like who knows what is good for a person in life during the few and meaningless days they pass through like a shadow. So already that right there is saying like, you don't even have enough time in your life to figure out what is good. You don't have any right to tell someone else, you know, like you got, you got like 80 years tops. Why don't you just shut up and live your own life, dude? Let that guy figure it out for himself. And if he can't, he can't, maybe he's not supposed to, maybe you're not supposed to, maybe good and bad and right and wrong are so intentionally difficult to figure out. So we can't understand them completely so that we can kind of move in this morally ambiguous life that we, that we have, you know, everything we do is subject to critique and criticism and a, a new set of eyes can bring a thousand different ideas and ideals to any situation. So who are you to say what's good? Who are you to say what's bad? Yeah. Crime is Crime is objectively bad, right? Well, well, no. That guy steals to save his family from poverty when there were billionaires sending people to space and not paying their workers anything. Maybe that guy is bad. Who's to say? Like, it's, it's not for us to decide. We can debate on it and postulate on it for as long as we want. Doesn't matter. You haven't made a decision because a decision is universal. It's a consensus. You know, it's, it's supposed to be something agreed upon. You can debate morals and ethics your entire life and you won't have made a dent in that argument because the argument is as long as your life is <laughs> and it goes so far beyond you and everyone. So don't try and figure it out. Just live your life how you see best, right? And then let other people decide how they live theirs. Don't, don't hold yourself up to, to a greater than than thou sort of status and, and try and figure out how you can influence people's thinking to align with yours. Just think your own way and let people make up their minds about their own situations and, and find their ways through this really, really difficult thing called life that really only lasts this bloody long anyway. Mm. Go and have fun with it. <laughs> exactly. Go and have fun with it. You know, like, yeah, there are going to be times where it's really hard and you have to sort some stuff out. And maybe you got to lean on a couple friends. That's fine. That's part of it. Go and get married and, and have kids and, and get a dog and, and, and buy a house. Make sure you're doing it for the right reasons. Go, go and feed, you know, homeless people on the streets. Go and volunteer at, at, a, at a soup kitchen you know, create penicillin and, and cure cancer and, and stop world hunger. Just, just go and do something, you know, nothing's ever been done by sitting around and, and waiting for stuff to happen. Life is about action and reaction. You, you can't, you can't passively sit by 
and allow the world to pass you by and then complain about not having very long left. You did that to yourself, champ. You know, well, and it's, it's such a common problem because we're people of action. So it's quite oxymoronic, you know, to, to have people who struggle with like existentialism and stuff. Oh, I'm, I'm 40 and I haven't figured it out. Guess what, dude? There are people in their deathbeds that haven't figured it out. Jesus didn't really figure it out until he went up there anyway. He, he says, why have you forsaken me? And then God is like, oh, this is why? And he's like, oh, right. <laughs> okay, cool. I'm about to die, but thank you for explaining. And he had God to explain it to him. We don't have that direct connection. We're not his literal flesh and blood. We aren't this you know, interpretation of the three. We're just people who have to fucking wrap our heads around the impossibility of life and then live it. And someone somewhere just expects us to do that. So go and do it. It's intentionally hard because everything is a challenge. If you look at it the right way, everyone is allowed to think different ways. So just let them think everyone will experience things different ways. Let them experience it. Just don't forget to live your life. You know, what, what drives you? Why, why do you get up in the morning anyway? Can't just be to make money to pay your rent and your bills. What, what kind of purpose is that? How, how can you achieve happiness that way? How can you appreciate what you've got if all you do is work yourself to the bone for, for next to nothing anyway? Like how can you, uh, uh, mm, <laughs> you know? That's good. Yeah. Like I said, I talk a lot, but <laughs> I think it's all relevant. They're, they're all relevant points. And, um, you know, it's, it's really problematic when, when I get on tangents like that, because I can just talk for hours on end and say the same thing 30 different times and in slightly different interpretations each time. But each one is, is as important as the other, because there are a thousand different ways to interpret a single word, you know? So I don't know. If I ever get ahead of myself or I, or I go too far, just tell me to pump the brakes. I'll do it. But, um, you know, that's, that's, this is my take on things. And I know that there's like, <laughs> I, I know that there's like an inherent irony to me saying, don't tell people to how to live their lives because I'm literally telling someone how to live their life by saying that. Um, but uh, you know, I think that's just good life advice. I'm not, I'm not giving the advice either. I'm translating this book. That's what I'm doing. Uh, so, uh, yeah. Who can tell them what will happen under the sun when they are gone? No one. When they're gone, they're gone. So why bother? This too is fleeting, right? This too is clutching at the wind. You know, it's, it's just, what's the point? What's the point? You don't know that person's circumstances. You don't know, you don't know, to be honest. <laughs> so just live your own life because that's the thing you do know. Anyway, I'm all done. <laughs> if i keep if i keep going i'm gonna have conniptions or something <laughs> well let's leave seven and eight for tomorrow that sounds good oh all right man um i'll do i'll do a quick little wrap up uh that was that was really good i really appreciate you you uh you joining me tonight and, and reading through these things and allowing me to ramble as i ramble um i appreciate you listening as well um it, i i know Sometimes I get a little dry and it's probably 
sometimes for the best to cut me off but <laughs> but i appreciate that you didn't because i got a lot of shit to say sometimes um <laughs> so it means a lot thank you love it um i appreciate you brother i appreciate you I really do these talks are great i think so yeah there's, there's a lot to wrap our head around and i feel like just by that talking through it it, it gets a lot easier so i like yeah it's always really encouraging when i finish saying something you're like oh i hadn't thought of it that way and then you give me your point i'm like i hadn't thought of it that way <laughs> it's us just kind of processing stuff together and it works it's really good it's uh it's very beneficial to have someone to bounce stuff off of instead of just wrestling with those thoughts yourself you know yeah good fun Thanks for tuning in to episode three of Disorganized Religion. I hope you enjoyed it, or at least some of it. Um, thanks for joining us uh, for a big old chat through Ecclesiastes. We'll be continuing on next week, so feel free to join us again. Cheers.